podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Thursday. It is the 21st of December. And we have news, we have gossip, and we have questions to get to. So let's start with last night. Liverpool 5, West Ham United 1 in the EFL Carabao Rumbleos Milk Coca-Cola Capital 1 and whatever else. Cup. Uh, big win for Liverpool. Great performance. Best performance they've put together since Villa early in the season, potentially even a better performance. They were rampant, they were dominant, they were aggressive, they played a proper formation and a proper shape and a proper style for the first time in a long time. They looked like a proper team, which was nice. Liverpool will now place play Fulham in the semi-finals. Uh, Chelsea will play Middlesbrough in the other semi-final. And then we will have a final, which is nice. So, You'd fancy Liverpool-Chelsea as the final, but you won't write off Fulham. You can't write off Borough. They're here on merit. They deserve to be at this stage of the competition. And we'll pick this all back up in January. We can put the EFL Cup to bed for a few weeks, though. In other news, the ban on the European Super League has been deemed unlawful. Say the... European Court of Justice. They have denounced UEFA and FIFA for abusing a dominant position. UEFA have come out and said that they are confident in the robustness of their rules. The Super League backers A22 have released revamped proposals. Real Madrid said that all clubs should be masters of their own destiny. 
and La Liga have gone on to say that the European Super League is a selfish and elitist model. We know that the German clubs, for now, will not join. We know that the Premier League clubs, for now, likely will not join. We might see some of the Italian clubs join. We might see PSG join and maybe one or two other French clubs. We've seen Atletico Madrid come out and say they will not join, but obviously Real and Atleti or Real and Barca are the driving force behind this. And if it does gather steam, I think a lot of clubs will change their opinion on it. Now, UEFA, for their part, Alexander Seferin has come out and said football is not for sale. I'm not sure if he understands what the word irony means, but he might want to look it up. He really might want to look it up. We've had reports that UEFA are considering binning off the proposed changes to the Champions League. Next season, we were due to go to some sort of Swiss model where all teams would be placed in one pot, one table. All teams would play a certain amount of games. And then the top eight would go through with the remaining teams playing off in some sort of playoff comp- playoff knockout round to advance to a round of 16 and then go from there. Didn't sound great. Didn't really like the idea. Wouldn't be against them going back to the current model, which I think is fine. It's not great, but it's fine. Um, I do think there's ways and means to fix the Champions League. I just don't think that Swiss model is the one. Uh, I think the original Super League plan had a lot of merit. There was obviously some mistakes in it, but it got leaked and had to be publicized before it was ready. The revised model, I'm not as keen on. I get the idea of the three-tiered league, and that's fine. And I just, I feel like it was better the first time, though flawed, but better. Uh, Obviously, the people that really care about football, Sky Sports, Gary Neville, they're once again against it. I wonder if the fact that the Super League have said that what they want to do is put it on a free-to-air network has anything to do with Sky being upset about it. Wouldn't it be terrible if the BBC or ITV or, you know, look, we get Champions League here in in Ireland on RT anyway. Um, But wouldn't it be terrible if just national broadcasters had it and the big subscription services didn't get any of the games? Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? Then Gary Neville, you know, might not have a job anymore. Wouldn't that be shocking? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be awful? It's all very funny for Gary Neville to come out and be so against this and say that it's against the integrity of the game when he's financially doping Salford City up through the, the lower leagues. But, you know, let Gary do Gary things. He never had a problem with the Glazers until the Super League and the threat towards his um, income from Sky. Never had a problem with them when he was buying land off them to build himself a hotel. But now, now he's got major issues. So the proposal for the new Super League would include 64 men's clubs and 32 women's clubs. It would be a rival for UEFA's competitions, the Champions League and the Europa League, and obviously the Conference League. I just don't quite like... I don't quite like the plan as much... Uh, Florentino Perez, who, you know, I mean, he just, he's been the one behind most of this. He's come out and said that today is a great day for the history of football. Um, Magnificent stuff, really. It's going to get messy. It's going to be very public. And it's all very funny, to be quite honest with you. Uh, Good news. Tom Lockyer has been discharged from hospital following the cardiac arrest he suffered during last Saturday's game at Bournemouth. Um, he has had an implantable implantable cardioverter defibrillator device fitted, which I believe is the same thing Christian Eriksen has. And 
I, I suppose he's planning to resume his career at some point. Ericsson did, so we'll see. Uh, other players to have them include Daly Blint. Um, it's just very worrying with Tom Lockyer because obviously he had the incident at the playoff final and now this incident and maybe somebody should be potentially trying to guide him away from from playing, but you can't really force him. Uh, a bus crash in Algeria on Wednesday night killed a player and coach from top flight side Meludia Club El Bayad, prompting the National Football Federation to postpone all games. The country's state news agency said that goalkeeper Zakaria Buziani and assistant coach Khalil, sorry, Khalid Mufta had died in the accident. They were traveling north uh, for a league game on Friday when the bus carrying the squad overturned in northwest Algeria, according to local media. So that's obviously horrible news. And you'd send your thoughts and your, your prayers to the friends, the families of all those involved. Uh, in the Bundesliga, Harry Kane scored yet another goal. And he is on course to break the record for Bundesliga goals in a season. That was his 21st strike of the season. Uh, we're in we're in mid-December, Harry, and you've already got 21 goals. Um, he's playing at just such a ridiculous level right now. It is absolutely disgusting how good Harry Kane is. That's 25 goals in all competitions, by the way, in just 22 games. 21 in, fi- in 15 in the league. 21 in 15. That is ludicrous. He is on target for in excess of 50 goals in all competitions this season, which we shouldn't be surprised by because it's the Bundesliga and he is Harry Kane. He's the best number nine on the planet. But, you know, to add to those 25 goals, he's also got eight assists. So 33 goal involvements in about 1,900 minutes. He's getting towards the point of having a goal involvement every half. So, yeah, fair to say Harry is doing well in Germany and will most likely add silverware to his resume this season, which should hopefully, hopefully put to bed some of the narrative around him. Uh, In Spain... Barcelona defeated Almeria by three goals to two last night. Uh, Sergi Roberto with a late goal. Uh, Barca are third in La Liga. They're four points behind Real Madrid. They have played a game more. They're three ahead of Atletico Madrid. They've played a game more. So should Atleti win their game in hand, they have a superior goal difference. Barca would drop back into fourth. But I still don't understand why Xavi is under real pressure. I did have an interesting conversation yesterday on Twitter with Raj Chonan, and we're talking about the possibility uh, as Barca develop and finally land the number six that they're desperate for, of Frankie de Jong sweeper arc. And I love the idea. So I put together this possible team. Now, there's, there's two holes in it that would need to be filled. And two of the players are currently there on loan, might not be kept, but I think should be kept for this shape. So first and foremost, you've got Ter Stegen in goal. Arejo would play right side centre-back. Frankie as a sweeper. You would need a left side centre-back. They do have uh, Inigo Martinez, obviously, so he can fill in there in the short term. But long term, you'd want to upgrade that position. As wing-backs, Canseo and Balde. You, you couldn't ask for better. In midfield, you would sit that defensive midfielder and then have Gavi and Pedri playing in advance of that player. And then you'd have Lewandowski. And just for now, I would say Joe Felix is ideal for that kind of shape. Now, if they don't keep Joe Felix, they could bring back Ansu Fati and use him in that role. Uh, they do obviously have this young Brazilian striker coming in, so it could be him either. 
But I was thinking of that team and I was thinking of the national team that I love the most, the 1996 Germany team, which played the shape. And, you know, Frankie in that Matthias Sammer role, Arejo as the babble. Inigo Martinez is a decent fit, a decent approximation of Thomas Helmer. Again, I would want better, but does fit there. Canseo as Reuter, Balde as Ziga. That works really well. And what that defense can do, not only can it play as a back three and wing backs, it could be a back five. It could be a back four because Frankie can play as a center back if needed. He played there this season. He played there at Ajax. So in possession, you could work it as a back four if you get caught in transition. Arejo can push to right back, meaning you could go Arejo, Frankie, lefty centre-back and Balde, Canseo as a winger. Or Martinez could play left-back, Frankie, Arejo in the middle and Canseo at right-back with Balde as a winger. Because the great thing about that German team was how fluid and flexible they were. And they would go from 3-5-2 into... Four box two, four four two, four two three one, and you'd have all these same possibilities. Even four three three at times, you'd have all these same possibilities. Gavi as your Thomas Hassler type, that ball of energy, good at everything, can play in a two, can play in a three, can be a ball winner when needed. Pedri as your Andreas Muller, that more attack-minded one who links midfield to the attack, could play left side of a front three, has done it before, could play either wing with one of the fullbacks on the other wing, so he could go left side if Canseo plays right side, plays advanced right side, he could go right side if Balde pushes advanced left side. And then you'd have movement and creativity from one of your forwards and a lethal goal scorer in the other. If they could, now obviously their finances are a mess, which is why they're pushing so hard for the Super League. But they could keep Canseo and they could keep Felix and potentially go in and get themselves a really good left-footed centre-back. Now, the ideal one would be Bastoni, but like Schlotterbeck would be a really good fit there as well. Nico Schlotterbeck of Dortmund is probably more affordable and more attainable. Then that makes a lot of sense. Even someone like Goncalo Inacio would work really well. Piero Hincapié would work really well. Inacio, in many ways, would be a great fit because of his ability to pass from deep. And then for your holding midfielder, the ideal one would be, well, obviously Rodri, but he's not attainable, but someone like Bubakar Kamara. Because the thing with Kamara that would fit well into this, just this tactical plan of using the German uh, blueprint is that like Dieter else, he is a holding midfielder, but he can also drop the centre-back. So him and Frankie can swap roles. And him and Frankie could play in a double pivot. He could drop to centre back if they wanted to, if they had to move into a back four at any point. So if you can find someone like Bubakar Kamara who has that flexibility in his positioning, that would be a hell of a team. Like let's just say it was Schlotterbeck and Kamara. You're probably looking if if the rumors of Kamara having a buyout are true. Actually, let's say it's a Nascio because we know he has a buyout. So let's say it's a Nascio at his buyout, which is 55. And let's say Kamara's is about 45 to 50, right? That's 110 million. You're probably looking at, I guess, 20 to keep Canseo. Atleti might do a loan with an obligation to buy for next season on Joe Felix. So you could push that one back. So let's say you're looking at having to spend 120 million this summer and then maybe 60 the following summer. You do have a couple of players you can sell. You could sell Rafinha because you don't have a need for him anymore. That probably brings you 50 plus million. You could sell Jules Kunde. Now, I would rather keep him, obviously, and have him for depth, but you could move him on. 
and you'd probably get a good fee for him, 50, 60 million. Like that, him and Rafinha could cover most of the expenditure. The problem for Barcelona is that they're so caught up in being Barcelona and having to play this way that they forget their own history. They forget that when Johan Cruyff was manager, they often played with a sweeper. Sometimes it would be a centre-back who would play there, but sometimes he would drop a midfielder in there. But Barcelona are so caught up in having to be, you know, Pep Guardiola's Barcelona that they probably won't do it. Anyway, that's an aside, a little tangent. Uh, Craig Gordon, Hearts goalkeeper Craig Gordon, wants to show people what's possible as he nears a return from a year out with a double leg break with a place at Euro 2024 still on his mind. Uh, the Scotland player, who's now 40, sustained the injury last December in Hearts 2-2 draw with Dundee United at Tannadice. And I think everybody wrote him off and thought, well, that's it. Like, at that point, and you're 39, you've broken both legs, you're, you're finished. And obviously, they've been quite serious leg breaks as well to keep him out this long. I do like Craig Gordon. I've always liked Craig Gordon. He was really good at hearts in his early career. He made that big move to Sunderland. He was outstanding for them when he first joined. And then the injury started. And it looked like his career was over. It really did. And then obviously he gets that second chance at Celtic. He was great for Celtic for four years. Then he had an iffy season and then obviously became back up to Joe Hart. But I love that he went back to Hearts. And I especially love that he went back to Hearts when they were in the Scottish Championship. A club that had given him his start in football. That had given him his opportunity. A young goalkeeper when he broke through. Like 19 when he made his debut. 18, 19 when he made his debut for Hearts. And they gave him that opportunity. And he felt like he owed it to them. Because remember as well, when Sunderland came in for him, there was a lot of talk that there was going to be big, big bidding wars for him. It was nine million, which was a you know a record a British club had paid for a goalkeeper at the time back in two thousand and seven. But they didn't have to sell him at that point. They could have held out. They let him go, and he took his opportunity. And it's just a shame. It's just a shame that he had the injury problems. So I thought he was really good. I thought he was really, really good. Anyway, uh, good to see him on the recovery route. Uh, in France, Kylian Mbappe scored twice as PSG beat Mets. Nothing unusual about that, but what was unusual is that his brother, 16-year-old Ethan Mbappe, came on for his debut. Now, I don't know how highly regarded Ethan Mbappe is. But it does say a lot that he's at PSG and he's in and around the first team mix at just 16. I understand that Killian has a lot of sway there and a lot of influence. But I think if the brother was a scrub, there's no way a manager would put him in the team, regardless of what pressure he was getting. So it does potentially point to um, PSG having another very, very talented player on their hands. And, you know, when you see how good Warren Zaire Emery is, if Mbappe is even 65, 70% to him, he'll be a cracking player. I still don't like the way they're playing, still don't like the setup, still don't like Luis Enrique as a manager, but a win is a win for PSG. Um, Oshin Roberts, former Wales and Crystal Palace assistant manager, has been named caretaker boss of Italian side Como. Uh, he will be assisted by Sesc Fabregas. Now, Sesc is a part owner of the club, and Sesc recently was appointed caretaker manager. I don't think Sesk has all his licenses yet, so I don't think he's actually able to stay in that job. So um, that's why they're bringing in Roberts. I think it's a similar enough situation to when Vincent Company first took over 
at Anderlecht and he brought in, was it Simon Davies he brought in? I can't remember who he brought in. Brought in a couple of coaches and they then became kind of the managers and he went back to kind of playing but also being in charge. I assume that's kind of what's going on here. Um, Davies will also, Roberts will also work as head of development. So my guess is he'll be coach for the rest of this season. Then he goes into that role and either Sesk by then has his licenses and becomes the, the head coach or they'll go and appoint someone else. He was part of Patrick Vieira's Palace staff and he also worked for Wales for a long time under Gary Speed, Chris Coleman and Ryan Giggs. He is quite highly thought of and uh, good to see him get an opportunity. Uh, MPs have called for a reduction in stadium gambling advertising. And I, I have to say, I do I do agree with this. I think there's just too much of it. I, I, you know, I know they've, they've moved to ban it off the shirts. Gambling is a, is a horrible aff- affliction. Like a gambling addiction is, is, is something that can, you know, ruin, ruin families, ruin lives. And if we can do anything to minimize it, um, the better. Uh, I will give you actually a book that's worth reading on the topic. Um, Written by a man that I had the fortune of meeting many, many moons ago when I lived in Carlo. Uh, he is a postman uh, who became um, the head postman in a post office, very young. And he got addicted to gambling and ended up losing 10 million euro. Now he won like, I think 8.7 or 8.8 million, but overall he lost 10 million. So he ended up in the hole for over a million quid. Um, Tony O'Reilly is his name. Uh, The book is called Tony 10. It is absolutely excellent. And it tells the story of a guy who, you know, in, in his desperation with his gambling addiction stole from the Irish post office on post 1.75 million to cover his losses and, and fuel his addiction. Um, he did an excellent, there's a podcast in Ireland, which it's everywhere, but it's, it's from Ireland called the talking bollocks podcast, uh, which is a great name for a podcast. And it is well worth your while uh, listening to his appearance on that. And then reading this book, which is excellent. Um. Yeah, there's also there's another book as well. Um, book. Yeah, there's a book called Punters: How Paddy Power Bet Billions and Changed Gambling Forever. It's also it's a really really good book, written by a guy called Aaron Rogan. It's just it's a great explainer of how Paddy Power became what they are. And I would highly recommend those two books uh, if you're looking for something to read. Tony Ten and Punters, How Paddy Power Bet Billions and Changed Gambling Forever. Very, very good. Um, Mary Earps the other day was named as the Sports Personality of the Year. And huge congratulations to her, the top goalkeeper in the women's game. Uh, she finished ahead of Stuart Broad and Katrina Johnson Thompson, the heptathlete. Um, I think it's fantastic that she's won this. It's the second time in a year, a second time in two years, rather, that a uh, woman has won the woman's footballer has won the award. Bet Mead won it last year. Uh, the best thing about it all, it has inspired Joey Barton to have yet another meltdown. And Joey has said that if he took 100 penalties against Mary Earps, he would score 100. So I think we should have this arranged. And I think if Joey Barton misses even one, just one, if he misses one, whether it's saved, whether he puts it wide or over, whether it hits the post or crossbar, if he misses even one, I think he should just have to fuck off. I think he should have to fuck all the way off. And then, once he's done that, he should fuck off a little bit more. And swearing is necessary here. 
because Joey Barton needs to just go away. He just needs to go away. This pathetic attempt to stay relevant. You're a failed footballer and a failed manager. The two highlights of your career are getting sent off and putting on the worst accent anyone's ever heard in their life to try and make yourself sound, I don't know, coherent to French people. Go away, Joey Barton. Go far, far away. And you know how you know you're wrong, Joey? You know how you know Pierce Morgan agrees with you. And if Pierce Morgan agrees with you, you're on the wrong side. That's a simple that's a simple rule to live your life by. If Pierce Morgan agrees with you, you've taken a wrong turn. And by the way, if somehow somehow this ever gets to the ears of Pierce Morgan, why is your Twitter header of your club winning the community shield? Why is that? You claim to be a lifelong Arsenal fan, which means, given your age, that at the very least, you saw the great Arsenal teams of George Graham and then the great Arsenal teams of Arsene Wenger. So I don't know why Piers would have Arsenal winning the Community Shield when he has been alive and, you know, you'd imagine some sort of coherent adult while his team have won five league titles as well as a raft of cups. But no, no, it's the community shield for old Pierce. Uh, he can join Joey Barton in fucking all the way off. And... Gossip. He'll <laughs> get to the gossip eventually. Here we go. Real Madrid could be interested in re-signing Rafael Varane. No, they couldn't. Manchester United boss Eric Ten Hag wants to keep Varane, who joined the Red Devils from Real Madrid and Casemiro in January. Well, he might want to, but he shouldn't. He has to keep Casemiro. He spent all that money on Casemiro. He can't just give up on him now. Uh, Arsenal leading Chelsea in the race to sign Ivan Tony from Brentford. I don't think that's true because I don't think Arsenal have the money. They couldn't afford to do the riot deal in in the summer. There's no way they have the money to do a Tony deal in January. Not at the price point that Brentford are looking. Manchester United are interested in Real Sociedad's Japanese winger Kubo as a potential replacement for Anthony. That's magnificent. Kubo's fantastic, but yeah, he he should avoid that club at all costs. German sides Bayer Leverkusen, RB Leipzig and Stuttgart are all exploring a deal to sign Jadon Sancho. It would have to be a loan for any of them. Uh, Juventus hold a slight advantage over Newcastle in their attempts to sign Calvin Phillips as the 28-year-old wants to know about playing time before deciding which club to join and he would potentially get more opportunity in Italy, which is fair. Brighton, Brentford and Nottingham Forest are all interested in Hoffenheim's 21-year-old Germany under 21 forward Max Bayer. Liverpool and Bayer Leverkusen also linked with him. Chelsea are not interested in signing Aaron Ramsdale. Well, that's not a surprise. He's not very good. Ramsdale would not be allowed to leave Arsenal in January. Again, that's not a surprise. Everton have placed a £100 million price tag on Jared Branthwaite. Actually, speaking of that Barcelona team, he would fit perfectly in that back three. He's he's the real deal. Jared Branthwaite is the real deal. Big, big time talent. 21 years of age, has the size, the speed. He's good in the ball. He reads the game well. Yeah, really, really promising future for him. Um... Fluminense's midfielder Andre has reiterated his his desire to play in the Premier League amid interest in Fulham. Tottenham have a long-standing interest in Tosin Adarabayo and could make a move in January. Makes sense, but I, I would like to see him stay at Fulham. He plays every game at Fulham when he's fit. I think that's the best place for him to be. Um, I think Tosin's a very good defender. I think 
He'd make a very good squad player for any of the top clubs. I think, though, he needs to be starting. And the best, best place for him to do that is definitely Fulham. Uh, I believe at international level, he's eligible for Nigeria. Um, he is. I think Nigeria should be calling him up. I'm sorry, you don't have a better centre-back than him. You just don't. I mean, Calvin Bassey is promising, still very raw. But, I mean, ask Calvin Bassey how good Tolson is. None of the rest of these guys are that they're in the squad are on Tolson's level. Now, maybe there's a young defender out there somewhere that I'm not available, uh, not aware of. Um, Agpaguma is good. I, I quite like him. I'd play him left side, Bassey left back, Tolson right side. And then, I mean, Bright say Samuel at right back. Seems like the best choice. Does seem to me like the best choice. That's a strong back four. You've got some pretty good midfielders and you've got unbelievable attacking options. Don't know much about their goalkeepers, admittedly, but that would then seem like the only kind of weak point they'd have. But yeah, anyway, moving on. Tottenham have opened talks with Nice to sign Jean-Claire Tadebo. Yeah, he'd be unbelievable for them. He really would. Uh, Steve Cooper is a contender to succeed Roy Hodgson when the 76-year-old leaves Crystal Palace. If I'm not mistaken, the summer he left Swansea is the summer they appointed Vieira. And I think he turned them down that summer. I could be wrong. Maybe they turned him down. I, I remember him being strongly linked to that job. But I do think that would make a lot of sense. I think that, that could be quite good. Um, you'd look at their team and you'd want to set it up, obviously, in a back three because that's where he's at his best. Anderson, Gwehi and Richards would work as a back three. You don't have a left footer there, but still, you'd need... Mitchell left wing back. He's not really a wing back, but he'd be he'd be solid. You need a right wing back because you need a right back anyway. Decoury at the base of midfield. I think you could play Eze in midfield with him if you're playing a back three behind them, and then Olise, Franca, Franca, and a striker be pretty strong. Now I'd like a left footed centre back, so I'd go Gwehi right side, Anderson in the middle, and a left footed centre back. And then a right back, right wing back. Even even if it's someone who's not spectacular going forward, even if it was a, a Kyle Walker-Peters type, I think he'd fit well there. And then Mitchell the other side, Decoury and Ezzy, once Decoury's back from injury. Obviously, you've got Lerma, you've got Hughes, you've got good options in there. Um, if you want more attack-minded left back, you'd probably have to go and buy that. Although you could use Jeff Schlupp there uh, if you needed to. And then, yeah, Elise and Franca behind a goal scorer. Now, you've got Eduard, who I think is a good player, but just hasn't quite clicked in the Premier League. But, yeah, three players, and, and I think you'd have a really good Steve Cooper team. Obviously, Dean Henderson's fit now again. Uh, Cooper knows him, had him at Forest. Um, you've got Sam Johnson, so your goalkeeper's set. You don't need to worry about that. You've got Chris Richards. Get a lefty centre-back, and then maybe one more for depth. Yeah, right back, striker. Yeah, it'd be pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Chelsea and Liverpool are interested in signing Nicola Burrell. No, they're not. They're just not. Liverpool are yet to find a replacement for sporting director Jörg Schmatke with the German club. Germans had to leave the club at the end of the season, having only joined them. He's just not very good. Um, he's got limited power at the club now. And my hope is that Jürgen stops getting in the way and the club can actually rebuild their structure. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be back after this. Right. Welcome back. So questions. Let's get going. Um, hello. Hello. Here we go. Will you be doing a Club World Cup selection show? Uh, yes. Yeah, eventually. Yeah, I will definitely do something around it. Uh, I assume you mean the 32 team World Cup thing that's going to take place. So, yeah, I will do more on that. Uh, Brian Javi, what do you make of Victor Jacquez's start with Sporting? 
do you has, think he has what it takes to play for top club, whether in England or the other top leagues? I've been really impressed by what I've seen. And I do wonder if Spurs could have got their act together earlier in the summer and got Kane out the door, which was obviously going to be the way it ended, if he wouldn't have been a great replacement for Kane. I had thought Ivan Tony to Spurs, Jokeres to Brentford was the, the right kind of order of things. But given what I've seen from Jokeres this season, I, I think he could have made the jump to Spurs and might have been a bit of a slower start there, but he's got all the all-round tools. I do think he can play for a top club, absolutely. Fact 1977, for the first Kudus goal against Wolves, Paqueta was brilliant at dragging four Wolves defenders across the field while freeing up Kudus. Who are your all-time top five players who could manipulate the whole team to set up other players that? Luis Suarez will always be number one. I've never seen a player whose gravity drew players away in that central area. Incredible. Thomas Muller, a genius in terms of his movement and his manipulation of space, his ability to just poke and prod at a defence and get them to bend to his will. Phenomenal. Gianfranco Zola was a master of it. Obviously would play off the striker. But back in the day, defences were a bit more rudimentary. Players were a bit more thick. So he'd often push up against a centre-back and then he'd just start to drop. And he wouldn't do it in big increments. Like, he wouldn't push up against the centre-back and then drop 15 yards. He'd drop five yards. And he'd receive the ball defeat and he'd pop it off. But that defender would be up tight against him. And now the defender thinks he's gotten a win because the defend- because Zola's popped it off. I've done the right thing here. And then Zola drops another five yards. And all of a sudden, that defender's 10 yards out of position. And now either a fullback is having to tuck over or there's just a big open space. Zola was a master at it. You'd have to obviously point at Messi because in terms of... like I always watched Messi against Real Madrid and thought if I was advising Real Madrid, I would... I would want my players all coming off that pitch on a yellow, every one of them in that, every one of them in that messy zone. So the left back, the left center back, the right center back, the left side midfielder, the defensive midfielder, and the left winger. I would want every single one of them coming off with a yellow card for a hard foul on him. If you go back to the 80s and 90s in the NBA, when the Detroit Pistons were the bad boys, And Michael Jordan was the emerging superstar of the league. The Pistons were always a tough team, but implemented the Jordan rules. Just fundamental things they would do against him. Where and when they would draw fouls, they they would commit fouls. And the type of fouls. And they'd beat the piss out of him. And I always thought the best way to stop him might be that. The messy rules, hard fouls in areas of low risk. So he picks the ball up on the touchline, you clatter him. He picks the ball up 40 yards from goal, you clatter him. You drive your knee into the muscle in his thigh, right into the meat of it. You get yourself a yellow card. You can disguise it enough that it's not a flagrant foul, it's not a red. You get yourself a yellow card, and then it's someone else's turn. And you slow him down incrementally like that because how else would you stop him? But the fact that you would need to do that shows that Lionel Messi belongs on this list. And last but not least, in my top five, Rivaldo. Rivaldo was incredible at this. Rivaldo didn't have lightning pace but yet you would see him streaking into areas where no defender was because 30 seconds beforehand, he'd made a move to drag a defender somewhere, given the ball to someone else to switch the play, spun that defender while that defender is continuing on in the wrong direction. And then 
manipulate Rivaldo did it largely to manipulate space for himself, I suppose is the is the one thing. Bebeto was great at it. I mentioned yesterday the Bebeto Romario partnership. And one of the things Bebeto did brilliantly was his runs between centre back and, and full back on both sides to drag a centre back a little bit wider, to collapse a full back in so a winger would have space. Open space in the middle for Romario. So I'll actually go with Bebeto as my fifth. Um, AMK2889. Your top 10 metal albums, all styles of metal are welcome. Oh, well, that's that's interesting. Uh, so this is my top 10, not the 10 I think are the best, but my top 10. So... I mean, classic would be go Master of Puppets by Metallica, which is, you know, one of the greats. Um, I mean, I'm just going to write, this is not going to be an order. I'm just going to give you a 10. So you could go Ride the Lightning as well or either. But I'm going to go just with one. I think I'll go one from each band that I would listen to regularly. So Master of Puppets will be my Metallica one. Um, for Slayer, you've got to have a Slayer album. Like, you've got to have a Slayer album in your top ten if you are a metalhead. The obvious ones would be to go with something like South of Heaven or Rain and Blood. But I think I'd go God Hates Us All. Uh, moving from them. Has to be, has for me, has to be an In Flames album in there. Um so of the In Flames albums, Come Clarity's great. Soundtrack to Your Escape is brilliant. Colony. I might go Colony. Yeah. I think I'll go Colony. No. I, do you know what? I'm gonna go Come Clarity. Uh by In Flames. Chaos AD will always will always be in my top ten. Chaos AD is brilliant, so we're gonna have that. Um We're also going to have from Max because he's Max. I think we're going to have Prophecy or Dark Ages. We'll go Dark Ages. A lot of this as well is like when it was released and kind of where you were in life. So I'll go Dark Ages. Um, 05 was a good time in life. So we'll go with that. Um, maybe not an overly popular one, but I'm going to go with hybrid theory. Again, it's just, you know, it's the timing of it. Have to have an Arch Enemy album. There's a couple of absolutely unbelievable albums, but I think Doomsday Machine is probably my favorite. I love all iterations of them, though. Like, they're great now with Alisa Witt-Gluss as the lead singer. They were incredible with Angela Gossow. But even when... Johan Livia was uh, Liva was the the original singer. I still think they were great, but I think I'll go. I think I'll go Doomsday Machine. 
Um, where else have we go? We've got the Haunted. They've got to be in for me. Um, in part because of where that band came from and what its roots are. Like At the Gates are one of the preeminent. I suppose maybe you should go to an At the Gates album. Slaughter of the Soul, maybe the last At the Gates album before, before they split. I think I'll go home. I think I'll go with the Haunted. I think I'll go with the Haunted. So, um, Revolver would be would be the album for me. Um, from there, you have to have Lamb of God. They have to be in your top ten. Ashes of the Wake is probably the album I listen to the most. So, and I think it is great start to finish. And then no top 10 is going to be complete without a Pantera album. So you've got to have, you've got to have one far beyond driven, incredible, the Great Southern Trend Kill is outstanding, but I think it's vulgar display of power. Now, Cowboys from Hell is also fantastic. Hmm. My favorite Pantera album, truthfully, is their live album. 101 proof. So I actually, I think I might go with it. I might go with 101 proof. Um, and then the one that miss out are Slipknot. So maybe I replace, I listen to Hybrid Theory still though. But I do want to have a Slipknot album. The original is brilliant. It's so different to everything else that was around. Iowa was enormous at the time when it first came out. The one I probably listened to the most is probably volume three. Probably between Iowa or... Uh, do you know what? I'll go... Do you know what I'm going to do, actually? The one I actually listen to the most is, again, their live album. Because it's brilliant. And it covers everything. So I think I'll go with their 9.0 live. Now, that's a top 11, admittedly. But Master of Puppets... God Hates Us All, Come Clarity, Doomsday Machine, Chaos AD, Dark Ages, Hybrid, Th Hybrid Theory, Revolver, Ash of the Wake, 101 Proof, and 9.0 Live. That's what I'm going to go with. There's the top 11. There you go. Um, Ron Burgundy, what is a football-related topic, club, team, international team, rivalry, a year or era of a specific league, manager, Ballon d'Or race, influential figure, etc., that you think would make a good documentary or book that hasn't already been made. I am waiting on someone to write the definitive book on the United Arsenal rivalry. And I'm hopeful that friend of the pod, Ryan Baldi, will get to it at some point. Um, because I think he's... I think he's got the ability to carry it off. Even though he, like, he does obviously have that preference towards United, I do think Ryan, especially with the research he's done 
on his last two books, one on United, one on uh, Arsenal, I think he's in a good position to write it. But I think there's someone needs to write the definitive book on that. Um, I'd like to see a good documentary on the rise of Blackburn under Jack Walker. Uh, like I think that's something that you could do multiple episodes on. I think that'd be great. What else? I mean, so much of the modern stuff is already covered. You'd swear it was old, the way people are writing about it to remind us about stuff that happened two years ago. There should be a ban that you can't write books on players and managers that are still active and that you can't write about a game or a tournament or a team until like 20 years after that they're done. Um, See, the problem is I'd love to see a documentary on Argentina under Passarella and the, the lunacy that went on with, you know, him banning players for not cutting their hair and stuff. Um, but no one's going to make that. I'd love to see a documentary on the Spanish national team, like it's proper, like last dance type thing on the Spanish national team post 2012. So in say from when they win those euros up until, and including that, that world cup, the problem is no English speaking organization is going to make that in the English language. If they're going to do it, it's going to be in Spanish. And yeah, you can watch it with subtitles, but I, I just, I'd rather watch. I, I'm lazy. I don't really want to read my TV at times. Um, again, I'd like to see a proper, this would take multiple seasons, but a proper documentary on Syria from 86 to 06, which I think is the greatest era of Italian football. I think you'd have the first season would be you break it down into maybe you just do maybe you just do two seasons of 10 episodes and each season is one season each each episode is one season so 86 87 is episode 1 87 88 is episode and yada yada and you focus for like half of that episode on the one team that defines that season, whether it's a Milan team, a Sampdoria team, a Parma team. And obviously Parma didn't win the league, but there's definitely seasons where Parma were the team that should be focused on. Um, And you can get a season in for all the big clubs of that era. One for Fiorentina, Sampdoria, like I said, Parma, like I said, Roma, Lazio, both Milan clubs, in uh, Juve, maybe you do a season on on Napoli, obviously, as well. There's nine. And then maybe you do a season where, you know, Atalanta are the focus. You do one where Foggia under Zeman are the focus, things like that. I think that would be... That would be very cool. Now, the problem is finding enough footage and finding, uh, getting enough people to be willing to be interviewed for it to make it, you know, to make it more, to transport us back to the time. Yeah, that that would be the one. That That is the biggest one I'd love to see, but it'll never get made. Uh, right, I do have another question. It's from Alex. But as I sit here and look at the timer on this, I, I just, I'm not going to have time through this today because this will take a while. This is a brilliant question, though. Uh, can you predict the outcome of an eight-team tournament for the following eight national teams? Brazil, Argentina, England, Italy, France, Germany, Spain, Netherlands. And feel free to swap one with Portugal if you prefer. I think I keep it as it is. The squads for this tournament may only include players with zero, zero senior caps. This can be current or all time. Please do not include current young players who will eventually graduate to the senior team. 
which obviously makes it a lot tougher. So I do want to do this, but I, I this is going to take a while to put together. Like to put together teams for these countries, it's going to be hard to put together squads. Going to be really hard. That is something I'm going to try and do during the the break in the Premier League, where we're not going to have a whole lot of action for a few weeks. Uh, half the see half the league gets one week off, the other half gets the other week off. I'll do it at some point in there. Uh, but please do remind me, Alex, and I, I will get to that. Is an outrageous question. That is that is the type of question that I've come to expect um, from someone like Isaac Gilding. I didn't realize you were going to torch me with one as well, but it is a cracker. So with that, folks, I'll leave it there for today and I will see you all tomorrow. Have a pleasant evening and goodbye. Network.